Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. This is the show where we build an entire campaign for you and we do it from scratch. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this week we finally get around to starting the campaign itself. Now, before we do that, I did want to apologize for not being able to show my character creations the way I was hoping to, as I'm apparently not quite as tech savvy as I thought I was. I'm going to have to have a sit down with Gabe and have him explain to me how to best do that in the future, and maybe we can do a do-over. But I did have him post the character sheets for those characters, and I'll go over the basics of what I did at the end of the build today. So I promised we'd actually do some campaign building today. That means it's time to get to it. Now, we're going to begin with a background piece that you're going to present to your group. How you choose to do it is up to you. You can choose to do a dry reading if you want, but if you're the type who likes a bit of dramatic flair, go for a bit of mood lighting and find some D&D appropriate music, like the theme music we're using for the show this season, and run it at an appropriate volume as you do your best performance. And, And feel free to alter this as you see fit. Over the past 500 years, there have been dozens of various attempts to overthrow the various emperors of the land. The first few were the ones that had the best chances, as they were the ones that had the most unity. Elves, dwarves, orcs, halflings, gnomes, humans, anyone who'd been marginalized or felt like they'd been forced out by the regime. They were brutally defeated each time, and the Empire made examples of the leadership of those groups each time. And by examples, well, let's just say they were very public examples. That led the later uprisings to be less united, with fewer groups participating. And by the time of the last rebellion 40 years ago, only humans were involved. In fact, nobody's exactly sure where the majority of the elves and dwarves are, though some are on the islands, along with the majority of the halflings and gnomes. The orcs were virtually destroyed, and the whereabouts of the remaining ones are completely unknown. Over the past few years, the policies of the emperor have become more restrictive and harsher than they've ever been. He's been taking more from those who don't have anything to give in the first place and have been punishing people for more perceived slights. Reports of people trying to get from the islands to the mainland and being either conscripted or executed have also been coming in, though the validity of those reports have been questioned more than once by those living on the islands. This is where you come into play. You reside on one of these islands. You've been instructed from birth on the history, or at least as much history as is known, of the nation, as well as what is known of the emperor and his policies. Now, this is where you'd stop the background piece, cut the music, and bring the group into their first piece of role-playing. How this is going to work depends a lot on what was discussed during Session Zero. Since we know the group is all on the island, that settles a lot of potential issues, but there's still the problem of whether or not they all know each other. Since they're all going to need to be a group together for this to work, you're going to need to do some role play to get them together before we can go anywhere. I also need to note that everything we're going to build here is based on a five player group since I created five characters. If you have more or fewer characters in your group, You'll have to make adjustments, and while I'll help you in the early parts of the build, as we move along, you'll need to make those yourself. 
So as we get into the getting the group together portion of the build, it's safe to assume the group members at the very least know each other. I mean, this isn't the biggest piece of real estate out there. So they've grown up knowing each other. That doesn't mean they necessarily like each other. It just means they're aware of each other. And if they happen to be races that would typically not be trusting of each other, like elves and dwarves, that would just magnify the issue. That means there's really going to need to be some role play going on here to figure out how to get them together. So let's set things up a bit to see if we could put the community together a little bit to help with this. I'm going to set it up how I see it for my group. So of course you should adjust it to fit your group. Now I've got two humans, a halfling, a gnome and a half elf as a part of my group. And I've decided that all but the half-elf have grown up together, so to speak. So them being friends isn't a big deal. Their families know each other and they get along really well. So how I'm going to work in the half-elf, well, we're going to get to that. My layout for the island is this. Now, much as I described it last week, I've got several small huts along the coast. And those are inhabited by single men, mostly humans, who fish to help feed the various families living on the island. Some of them also have crab traps they lay out. There are also some enterprising halflings who've rigged up a couple of rafts they take out from the north side of the island when the seas are calmer, and they've managed to bring in some larger fish to help out. And they've also managed to set some lobster pots and crab traps at deeper depths than the shoreman can. Now, as we move our way under the palm trees, we've got a multitude of huts of varying sizes, and a mixture of human, halfling, and gnomus families. Now, over the years, some of the families have begun living together due to deaths and the need for more space. They've also combined resources to help themselves survive. They've taken advantage of chickens and other egg-laying birds they've found, and have also managed to grow potatoes, yams, beets, and other vegetables. And a few humans even figured out how to clear just enough space to grow some corn and wheat so bread and a few other staples are possible. They've also found a way to trade with small communities on the mainland, but exactly how they've done it is a closely guarded secret, even to most of the families on the island. There are only a couple of the elders on the island who actually conduct the trading and they don't allow themselves to be seen coming or going. So how and when it's done are unknown. This trading is the only reason they've got items like knives or needles, and it's how they're able to trade their surplus seafood for other items. Now, this is what my island looks like. Yours is going to look different, and that's perfectly okay. Yours might also have a lot more description, and it probably should, since you're going to need to put a lot more out there for your players. I'm really just finding it difficult to put all of this into words for a group I'm not actually running for this time around. So feel free to take what I'm building out for you and and add that flavor for you and for your group. Like I said, a lot of this for me this season is giving you the base to build your house on, if that makes sense. So with the reason for four of the five members of my group knowing each other, let's set up why we're going to have them adventuring. And I think this would be a good way for you to have your group adventuring. The elders of the community frequently get word from the other islands, as well as some of the smaller communities on the mainland, thanks to the trading they do. 
with tensions rising again. There are those who've raised the idea of another uprising. However, there are just as many who remember the failures of the last few and aren't willing to needlessly throw away the lives of their young on a foolish notion. But the elders of this community believe that there's ever going to be an insurrection. It needs to be now. Okay, so stepping back out of the narrative again, the oldest of the elders of my community is going to be a halfling by the name of Bree Toscobble. And that'll mean something here in a moment. You go with the race, gender, name, and age that works best for the vision you have for your game. Now, let me get back into the game. You were shocked when the Council of Elders requested your presence, and even more so when the eldest among them asked for a private meeting with you. Each of you knows old Bree Toscobble well. She's like an old grandmother or an aunt to you. She nursed you when you were sick. She taught you to bake pies or cookies. She caught you when you were bad. It seems that wherever you've been on this island and whatever you've done, Bree's been a part of it. Tonight, though, tonight's different. She has a look in her eyes more serious than she's ever had, and she looks far, far older than she's ever looked. The place she's chosen to meet is an isolated spot of island on the northeastern coast, a spot nobody goes to very often. Not even the fishermen go here. You're escorted by the other four elders, and when you arrive, Bree sits cross-legged in front of a small but roaring campfire facing the ocean. She motions for you to sit with your backs to the water facing her, and she speaks just as you finish sitting. You've heard the tales of the fights against the emperors in the past, yes? She waits for you to answer. A few of us elders were a part of one or two of those. Obviously, we did not succeed. Coming here was the price we paid for our failure. She stares out across the ocean for a moment as she finishes those words. For a moment, you can just make out a tear in her eyes. The tear fades, replaced by a hint of brightness. We managed to take that failure and turn it into a success. Your parents' generation, as well as yours is the measure of success we've had since then. This community and the way we've all managed to work together to survive proves we've moved on. Okay, this is where it's time for the first roll of the campaign, and it's a perception check. The DC, or difficulty, for the check is a 13, and it's because even though Bree's nonverbal cues seem to match what she's saying, these kids have known her for a very long time, and they seem to be getting the idea that something's up. Now, we're setting the DC at the midway point between an easy and a medium because while they should be able to pick up on it, their own emotions towards Brie might be getting in the way of things, especially considering their own ties to her. So we're going to up the DC a bit to take this into consideration. Oh, and I guess, you know, I keep referring to them as kids. I should probably back way up for a second. I know when you have the opportunity to put the characters together, your players may be saying this for age or that for age. I envision these characters as being young, the tail end of teenage, regardless of the race. So if you're seeing these as being older, I really would suggest or encourage your players to play them as younger. Regardless, Bree is going to see them as kids. Okay, so let's back this in. This is how I would handle the situation when we do these these perception checks with the four that I've got in the group at this point. Let's say three out of your four players make the roll. I would ask the one who didn't make that roll step out of the room, get out of earshot. This would be a good time for them. Maybe grab a bathroom break or step outside, whatever you got to do. 
I would then let the three who made that role know that something seems off with old Bree. Don't give them too much information, but just like tell them it would appear that Bree seems to have something on her mind that she wants to share, but it seems like she's either hesitant to tell them or is afraid to tell them. Then once you've done that, let them know, you know, you don't want to, you're trying not to give anything away to the person who hasn't figured it out. You can't tell them however you feel like you want to share that. Now, if I only had one or two players that made the role, maybe just text it to them. I mean, everybody's got a phone on them these days. Um, or, or just take those two players. Maybe you walk them out of the room and talk to them. I've done that before too. However you want to do it, you use the method that works best for you or is fastest for you, whatever. Whatever method works for you. All right. Let's get back into the game and let's figure out how we go from here. You ask, well, Miss Bree, something's bothering you? You can tell us if you want. Bree smiles at you. Child, the weight of our people is on my shoulders. I can't put all of that on you, but there is something that weighs on me that I could put on the four of you, but I hesitate to do so. She takes a moment, then explains in detail. All right, I I could do this in full conversation, but talking back and forth would really get old after a while. So I'm going to detail the particulars here, and I'm going to leave the conversation to you and your group. Bree is going to discuss the various communications that she and the elders have gotten from the other islands in the mainland over the past few months. She's going to point out that while she understands everyone's positions on the matter, she has her own position on the matter, and she'll explain in great detail why she feels the way she does. The position basically goes like this. It kind of falls back on what we talked about at the top. It's talking about the various uh, positions. You know, there are people that are continuing to be to be squashed. Uh, people are feeling upset. The emperor is you know, more taxes, taking more from the people. You know, we think this is the time to take them. We don't believe this is the right time. Yada, yada, yada. Whatever you feel like it takes, right? Both sides of an argument. Kind of sounds like a lot of what's going on in the U.S. right now. I don't want to take political sides, but look deep within yourself if you're looking for more things to put out there. Okay, but she has her own position. For many months now, she's had dreams of an ancient battle. And by ancient, she believes it was at least a thousand years ago. In that battle, she sees a human king wielding a sword that engulfs his enemies in fire. His opponents were so fearful of it, they threw down their weapons and surrender rather than continue to fight. Now, she admits that it could be her old mind playing tricks on her. But to have the same dream night after night for many months, she finds that hard to believe. The only information that she has for certain is that the king's name was King Anger the Wise, that the king fell in battle by giants in an area known as Bakaran, and the sword was supposedly lost there. Now, she knows that giants haven't been seen on Corto Maltese for at least a thousand years, so that much of the dream would be true. Insofar as the location, well, she would have no idea of that, but the name has a bit of an old elvish tinge to it, so she would suggest a group try the old forests for it. And why would she suggest it? Well, in her mind, if the line of emperors is ever to be broken, it probably is now or never. The group needs to... They probably need to work as quickly as possible, but they also need to work carefully. They need to not only make their way across the continent to the known areas of forest, but they're going to need to try to locate the ancient elven forests, most of which have been long cut down to see if they can locate the sword. Now, while they're doing that, they're going to need to free some slaves 
figure out how to arm as many of them as possible and try to build a resistance of some type. Oh, yeah, while they're doing all of that, they're going to need to try to unite groups of halflings, gnomes, elves, dwarves, and anybody else they can convince to join the fight. Oh, yeah, and they're going to have to do all of that while not getting caught or killed by the emperor's men. I mean, hey, it's all easy, right? All right, all right, all right. So this is the point where you as a GM are basically laughing at me, thinking I have completely lost my mind. I mean, we're basically talking about sending a group of kids, first level players on a mission to save the world. And here we have a here we have an NPC basically telling them exactly what we're telling them to do, what we're sending them to do, right? Yeah, that is exactly what we're telling them to do. I mean, it's crazy, but it's what we're telling them to do. Why? Well, the very first thing your players are going to do when you tell them is they're going to scoff at you. They're going to maybe toss a few four-letter words at you when you do it, if that's their style. They might be telling you that you're telling them to do the impossible. But here's how I want you to think about it. Put yourself in the shoes of a bunch of teenage kids who've grown up on an island looking for adventure. You've been told stories about it. You've never actually gotten to do it. I mean, think about all the books we've read or the movies we've seen where the main character has had dreams about doing this kind of adventures. I mean, I remember the very first movie that I saw that ever made me feel that way. I was four years old when it came out and it changed the way I thought about that kind of stuff forever. It made me want to go on that kind of adventure was this little movie you might have heard of. I saw it at the drive-in when it first came out in 1977. Give you three guesses what it was. That's right, Star Wars. And yeah, I'm that old, okay? Sue me. So while it may seem like a lot for the players, and it might seem stupid, it might seem trite, it might seem whatever, for the characters, sure, might seem overwhelming, but put yourself in in the shoes of a teenager in this fantasy world. It may feel overwhelming, but the other side of that, the excitement, it's going to be an adventure. Trust me, it's going to be fun. Don't be a killjoy. We're going to have some fun with this. Anyway, let's get back to it. Bree is going to caution the group that while it sounds like a lot to accomplish, they will have support along the way since they're going to have friends in many of the small communities that they're going to come across. Now, she can't speak for all of them, of course, since the elders don't have communication with all of them. But the more people they can speak with and the more good deeds they can do and the more people they can help, the more people they can turn to their side. She also reminds them that while they do need to work quickly, time is on their side to an extent. The emperors have been doing their thing for 500 years. And while she says this is their best chance, they don't have to finish in a week or in a month. They do have a bit of time to accomplish this task. And for my group, she assures them they'll have a bit of extra help since this is where she'll introduce the fifth member of the group, the half-elven warlock. He'll be someone who's washed ashore recently and Bree will note him as someone she'd seen in one of her visions as someone who'd assist the group in completing their task. Now, he's not initially going to be overly friendly towards the group, but he's not going to be like ignorant or mean towards them. Then again, they're not going to be overly trusting or friendly towards him either. And if you've got some characters, you've got issues figuring out how to get into the fold, this would be a good way to get them in as well. Now, I know last week I said we were going to get into some of the underground stuff we drew up, but we got a lot of stuff to do with that. And I've got a lot of background that leads up into that. And I've still got some stuff that I wanted to get in with those characters I did. So I really think this is a good spot to wrap 
this this part. So we'll do that. And we'll get to the underground stuff next week. Now, like I said at the top of the show, I know I said last week we were going to build this out on the YouTube. Like I said, not tech savvy. Gabe did get the character sheets up. So if you want to see them, head to the website, badgeandproductions.net. Take a look. So what exactly did I build? Why exactly did I build it? Well, I built a human frontline fighter, a halfling ranged fighter, a human cleric, a gnome rogue, and a half-elf warlock. Now, of course, I just mentioned the warlock, so I kind of let that one out of the bag already. Kind of sorry about that. You might be wondering, why did I build the group out like that? And would my group have actually built itself out like that? Let me answer the second part of that question first. Probably not. No. If I was running my group through this, I got a pretty good idea of what the group composition would be. Clayton would be playing a bard because ever since we saw Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, he swore he'd be a bard, even though I told him Chris Pine, that character was not a bard, but whatever. Uh, Aniston would probably be trying to convince me to be some sort of regular magic user or sorcerer restrictions be damned. And I'd probably be trying to figure out a way to help him, I'm sure. Uh, Braden, I'm thinking would probably want to be a fighter. Scott, he tends to be the wild card, but lately when I've done D&D, it would either be a fighter or a rogue, maybe, though he tends to wait till last and see what we need. <sighs> Jim sometimes is the hard one, but I'm thinking rogue, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past him to go warlock thanks to the restrictions that are in place. Gabe would be an artificer, and I know that because I was going to run a one-shot if need be, and he had one all laid out. Um, if Tyler were playing, I would lay even money on a tank style fighter. So yeah, if, if I were running this group, that would be, yeah, that would be what they would lay out. And if you, you look at what I just described or listen to what I just described, they, they don't have a healer. Now, if Scott were waiting till last and looked through and saw that, I could see him maybe playing a healer just cause they didn't have one though. If he were going to do that, he'd probably go paladin for lay on hands. Just saying. I can't see him playing a straight up cleric because that would mean having to have a spell list. Scott hates playing characters that require spell lists. It's, it's too much extra work. And I'm not saying that to mock him. He just, trust me, he hates keeping track of spell lists. So that's that half of the question. Let me answer the first part of the question. Why did I build the group this way? Kind of goes back a couple of episodes when I was discussing what I call a bounce party. I like the concept of a frontline fighter a ranged character of some type, a rogue, a healer, and a magic user of some type. So with the restrictions I put in place, a warlock makes sense. Looking at the races I chose, human, gnome, and halfling made a lot of sense, but the half-elf might raise a few eyebrows. But if you look at the way I just set things up, I'm adding a sense of mystery to things. And for my end of the build, it gives me something to weave into the story as we go along. In fact, I actually, for my part of the build, have a way to not only weave in the half-elf, but weave in the warlock. And in next week's part of the build, I'm actually going to weave them both in. Uh, like I said, that is, trust me. We're just going to go there. Just trust me. Now, if you've got something along these lines in your game, you can and should consider these same options. And it doesn't have to be anything as extreme as what I did. You could do the same thing with something as basic as an artificer if you wanted to. Again, the beauty of building things the way we're building things is to give you the freedom to alter things to fit your vision and your group. So as I've said a million times so far this season, and we'll say a million more times before we're done, make this game your own. 
And with that, I think we found a good spot to bring the build to a close. So next week, we're going to get to our underground chamber, fill that in and see exactly what I had in mind for that. Plus, I got a feeling we're going to get out of that. We're going to see where we send our intrepid group next. In the meantime, check out Role Playing History. This week, we're checking out The Fantasy Trip and It's a Crime. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgeandproductions.net. All Dungeons & Dragons materials utilized on this program are done so in accordance with the Open Game License 1.0a and System Reference Document from Wizards of the Coast and is done so for entertainment purposes only. For more information concerning the OGL and SRD, you can check out their website dnd.wizards.com. The theme music for Bad GM's campaign build-along is Savage by Alex-Productions on sound.eu forward slash. Check out the info box for this episode for the full credits. Bad GM's campaign build-along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Look, by now, you know the drill. So check out the info box for this episode or the website to see where you can follow us. Next week, we see what happens when we head underground. Until then, I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I will see you at the game table.